Hey guys, welcome back to the Every Plant Story podcast, the podcast where we share all kinds of plant stories from our life here at Gabriella Plants and also all around our plant community. Um, with us on today's episode of the podcast, we have Brett. Hi guys. Uh, he is our head grower here at Gabriella Plants as well as Zach. Hello. Our media director for Gabriella Plants. And of course, my name is Shane and I'm the owner and president of Gabriella Plants and happy to be back with you gentlemen today. How's it, uh, how's it been? Great. Fantastic. I know we have a special guest still to growing. get to. Uh, yeah, still growing. Still growing. <laughs> still hot, too. Yeah. It's still hot. Uh, I know we have a special guest to get to, an interview we were able to do. Um, super excited about that. But I wanted to touch on a few housekeeping things first here at the top. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention, Zach, um, you've been working on the new vlog. Yeah. Uh, we haven't been able to talk about it on the podcast quite yet. So how's that been going? Four weeks already. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, we started it at the start of this past month and just a great way for us to kind of show more behind the scenes, just more of a day-to-day look of all of the adventures and random problems <laughs> and that personalities. come up and personalities because there was a lot of personality here. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice just to be able to take all of that kind of just raw cut day-to-day content mm-hmm. and put it out. It's looking like it'll be once a week. You know, we might take a bye week here and there just to, you know, different events going on and everything. But yeah, check it out on YouTube, um, Gabriella Plants Online. And, yeah, it, uh, is, it is definitely very raw because <laughs> before, you know, if Zach and I did a video, it would be like, all right, let me let me plan this well, out. Well, because Zach's let me a professional. Write, I mean, uh, let yeah. Me, let me write what I'm going to say, everything. Now it's like, oh, well, geez, I need to be basically camera ready at any point because you mm-hmm. never know if Zach's going to show up behind you yeah. with a camera just recording. And, and Zach, <laughs> like, I mean... At, as you know, having done it for the past couple of weeks, like p- post 10 a.m., everyone's shirt is going to be two colored. Right. Like as far as sweat. Oh, yeah. 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 Everyone there's, is gross. Yeah. There's no, it's a judgment free zone. <laughs> it's, uh, but what, it is, it is really neat to like give that perspective. Cause like you're mm-hmm. saying, I mean, it's just, it's raw, it's uncut. It's also not kind of meant to be like anything specific. Mm-hmm. Like as far as like a lot of the other videos, like you were saying, Brett is like, a specific care information about a plant or information like we're trying to just jam pack knowledge into it. So it's been a cool thing to kind of see Gabriella in a, in the informal way exactly yeah. that the, the vlog's been. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of room for um, my random video ideas to kind of <laughs> surface as well. So you might see some very just out there, Mm-hmm. I love it. Fun. Oh, and they just... have to see that in episode four. If you go on YouTube, uh, the Migs water thing. I yeah, mean, I've watched yeah, that. Yeah. No, sure. Have you seen that yet? <laughs> no. Oh, we'll show you to you right okay. after this podcast. Uh, it's hilarious. It's just like completely random. There's no <laughs> like words or anything, but just the music bed behind <laughs> probably what was a minute of Zach just yeah. grabbing something kind of random and stupid. And then just the way that you melded it with the music, I was just, I, I was rolling. I, awesome. So people definitely need to go check it out. Um, yeah. So anyways, uh, we do have, like I mentioned, our special guest today. So we want to go ahead and get to that interview. Um, so without further ado, here is our interview with Lisa, the houseplant guru, and we hope you guys enjoy. Let's do it. Hey guys, uh, this is Brett. Uh, we have a very special guest on the podcast today, Lisa Steinkoff, known as the houseplant guru. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've known each other for a couple years and uh, she reached out to me probably two or three years ago, um, for some help when she was writing her uh, book, Grow in the Dark. Um, so very excited uh, to have her here with us today. Um, Lisa, why don't you go ahead and tell us about yourself? 
Well, I'm uh, I'm a mom <laughs> and a wife, <laughs> and a, I have Henry the kitty. But most, yeah, that's my that was my. I don't know if say my former life. Of course, I'm still a mom. And a wife, <laughs> yeah, you don't really get rid all, of those. My kids are all grown up and moved out, right? So yeah, you don't um, really get rid of those. They they <laughs> they tend to stick around for life. <laughs> they do stick around. I'm I'm just yes, and I'm just waiting to be blessed with grandchildren at this point. <laughs> um, but I have some grand dogs and grand cats. I love to death. So and I also have my sorry. I have a I have a clock. I'm crazy. It's true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I love houseplants, and I've always had them. And now I have, I'm, I dare I say, way too many. Mm. I think I can. <laughs> <laughs> My husband would definitely say way too many. That's that's but. a nice gray area. I don't I don't know if there's <laughs> ever a way too many. I I found it's best to not define the definition of too many because then <laughs> you don't have to wrestle with whether or not you've crossed the boundary. Yeah. So I just don't count them. People ask me how many I really have. I'm like I don't know. Same. Yeah, find out. Same. How do you find that out? <laughs> I what, don't wanna. What What made you go into uh, writing about houseplants? Uh, you mentioned on your website you've always been a writer. What What kind of made those two passions unite and get you started on that path? You know, it was always a dream to write a book, and I never thought I would. I didn't. Um, I I didn't finish my formal education, so I thought, you know, who could write a book that? I know that's really dumb, right? who could write a book that hasn't lots of people have written books that don't have PhDs or even masters or bachelors or of whatever. Course. But I always wanted to write a book. I mean, writing was, you know, I, I like to write. I'm a paper person, a pen person. Uh, um, and I, I just love to read and soak up all as much information as I can. And so when it was offered to me to write a book, which actually I found, I got through Twitter, <laughs> I should spend more time on Twitter. <laughs> really? They reached out to I you on Twitter? Lie. They did. Interesting. Um, okay, continue. Sorry, I that know. was just interesting. I know. I thought it was too. And then, you know, I've won some things on Twitter too. I've won an iPad. I've won hmm. like contests. I'm like, man, nothing big or anything. Unfortunately, <laughs> I should stick with Twitter. Um, anyway, so I then I just, you know, I wrote a book and it was like amazing. And it was hard work. Right. And, and what's funny is... Um, Brett was the one who kind of, we were talking about different people we wanted to bring in from the plant community to talk to and just get their experience and their perspective and lessons that they've learned over time. And of course, Brett brought up your name and stuff. And we were doing some show prep before recording this interview with you. And it actually dawned on me that your first book, I believe, was the very first book I originally bought for houseplants when we were starting Gabriella Plants. And so cool. I just wanted to have more. Wow. Yeah, I just wanted to have Thank more you. like things on like as stupid as it sounds like mm -hmm. on my shelf and like other resources because sure. I don't have Brett has a much higher education in plants than I do. But, you know, I don't know the scientific names and uh, we were expanding how many things we grew so quickly before we had Brett on the team. You know, I was like, I just need more resources. So your book was one of the first things that I purchased. Yeah. Um what has it been like then kind of, I guess, the success of the book? Describe that. Right. And, and, and multiple if, books at this point. Exactly. If I could ask when, what year was that first book? And I mean, since then, you've written two additional books. Yeah, it was in 2017. Okay. So, and then I've written, yeah, two more books. But that was my, that, that book is still doing the best of the other books, so. And so that, and it, but, but, that is to reiterate for our listeners, Houseplants, the complete guide to choosing, growing, and caring for indoor plants, correct? Yes. Okay. And then Grow in the Dark about low-light houseplants, which we all know there's not, I mean, 
they'll tolerate low light, but mm-hmm. they're not their favorite thing. But I put the most tolerant low light plants. That that book has been, um, it's in like five, I think four or five different languages as well. Wow! Because of COVID, I haven't received those copies yet, but hmm. um, it's in Spanish and Estonian, um, <laughs> <laughs> Dutch, and uh, is that how they say that? Was that how I would say that? And then it's in Ger- it's also in German. Hmm. Wow, that's so. really cool for the international listeners because I know one of the things that we get when we do in person events from time to time particularly being in Florida, Spanish being a very heavy second language or first language for a lot of people here is like, hey, you know, there isn't a ton of resources out there specifically in some of those other languages. So, I mean, I'm sure that's pretty cool to have kind of a global effect in the in the ways that you've written. Yeah. And, and you know, what's really is when people, which is really, it's not dumb, but it's crazy. I have to, when I someone posts it on Instagram and tags me, I have to go put that in to Google to make sure that I'm you know, saying that it's the right language. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Google Translate is your best the fo- friend. I there. didn't think about the follow-up questions being trickier when uh, <laughs> when you have multi-language. That's, that's for sure. Oh, oh. I don't want to yeah, insult anyone. <laughs> of, of course. Well, it, it, Brett brought uh, a copy of of your latest book, Grow in the Dark, and I, I had a, a, a skimmed through a little bit of it because, like I said, I, I read the most of the other book um, over the course of the time that I had it. And one of the things I found, um, the couple different things I wanted to talk through um, on it because I just think they're great nuggets of information. But I wanted to start with kind of towards the beginning of the book, you bring up artificial light. Now, obviously, the book is primarily, like you mentioned, focused on lower light plants, Mm -hmm. but it is one of the questions we get really often, you know, what is the best artificial lighting, that kind of thing. And to be quite frank, I grew up in greenhouses, the light is in the sky, and (laughs) it's generally up there from eight to, you know, 16 hours, depending on the season. Right. Um, So it just was kind of like a complete second language almost in its own way, like artificial lighting, and the different you know, bulbs and different things. So you want to share some of the, the things you found to be helpful in the artificial light realm? You know, I started out, um, I've had a, a light garden for a really long time. So I can, I'll be honest with you. And this is crazy. I just changed my T12 bulbs, T12. So the oldest, biggest fluorescent lights you can have. I just changed those over to complete. I didn't, I didn't work my way down from T8 to T5s. And mm-hmm. I just went right to the LED lights. Um, I don't, I'm not going to say that I see a huge difference, but I'm not as observant as a lot of people. Like I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm just not as observant, but I, I have to say that the LEDs, what I have or fluorescence, whatever you have, it's going to, it's, it's going to work. Right. If, if you, if you have some kind of the fluorescent lights, the teeth, I, I still have a lot of friends. I'm um, in the African violet group and they, we all, I should say most of us, probably 99% of us grow all of our plants under light right and there's still some that swear by the t5 you know and uh they love those the fluorescent lights and they didn't like the led lights they tried them and they thought they were too harsh for their well, plants or too much and how often there's were other you, people that love them how often were you changing your fluorescent lights though because i know i mean it's recommended every eight to twelve months you change those out because yeah. even though the visible light we still see a lot of the ultraviolet really? and stuff that affects the plants after eight to twelve months kind of dwindles the intensity the, the bulbs right. lose the intensity. Interesting. They change. They would change. I wouldn't say that I was as um, consistent with that <laughs> um, because they. Some of these people have like 
light stands like as far as in fact the picture in the in the book my first book of the light stand that that's the lady's house that we go to for african violet society meeting Mm -hmm. and she just has it those shelves always look the same they're absolutely beautiful every plant's in bloom um so they but they would when they had fluorescence they would change like only one in there's two in the two lights and they would change one every year like they would i know it would be hard to figure that out eventually because you start them both at the same time but they would try to only switch one at a time Hmm. so that it wasn't too um but but definitely every year right you'd you'd have to change every year with the leds you just they're the same until they don't work anymore right that's the yeah that's the benefit of led and that's what i'm kind of debating now is if i want to switch to leds just because you you don't have that maintenance that you have to worry Mm -hmm. about and i mean with me i probably have 15 to 20 fluorescent bulbs in my house right now and when they aren't all installed at the same exact date you lose track of wait did Mm -hmm. i change this one Mm -hmm. already have i not changed this one already for yeah for a second there (laughs) they would always they would write on the end with a grease pen or uh, that what we call them a grease that's pen. Smart. Yeah, you know, yeah, right yeah. When they changed them, because they're very, some of these people are very regimented with their plants, and that's it's lovely. I mean, they're they're the ones that have the plants that look like they could be on the front cover of a book every day. So it, um, they it, would write on there. It's the equivalent to the little oil change uh, sticker on the inside of your car. Yeah, mm-hmm. we actually we actually exactly. do that to our uh, propane heaters with uh, with a sharpie because no one else sees them, right? That's kind of like just a like, behind the scenes thing. We'll write the inspection log uh, <laughs> just in sharpie on the top of it. Um, so if you look at them, it's a confusing mess of dates and like it fired, but the propane flow was slow and just every single one and every note we've ever observed are just written on them, which is a great idea when you have like three notes. And then when you find the one that's now had six years of notes, you're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> but it's crazy that you guys are talking about switching out those because I, I had never, this is, this is the mm. first time I'm hearing about that. In my world, I change light bulbs that no longer function. And right. I do that about six months after they stopped working. You know, right. it's like final, <laughs> finally time for there to be light in my bathroom again, you know, and I'd change the light bulb. So the fact of being that proactive, but the one thing I wanted to ask you about, and the one thing I do know about artificial lights, and I'd want to put in here for the listeners is it matters a great deal. Truly, uh, when people say a light is too strong, they're mainly about positioning, right? Because there is kind of a, a science and an art to the distance between the foliage and the light source that can kind of tame or make mm-hmm. something more intense just by that spacing, if I'm understanding correctly. Right. So if you have, and plus when, once with the fluorescence, you change them, they are stronger, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. unlike the LEDs. And the light is stronger in the middle than it is at the end. So you also had to take that into account. So it is a lot easier with LEDs. I can just put them wherever and I know they're going to be the same. But the spacing, yes, if you, in the African violet world, they'll tell us, you know, if, or if any, probably any plant, if you, place them too close they kind of like hug the pot they're just trying to like draw away from the light Mm -hmm. like this is too much for me and they get bleached out they might get brittle um so yeah there's definitely a a happy medium and it it depends on if you have a miniature or semi-miniature you know it just depends on the plant you don't want them you don't you know you don't want them touching their lights or anything right and and then i mean also for the listeners who maybe don't know and i also don't want to assume for you lisa but i when you were using T12s and T5s, these are full spectrum plant grow light fluorescent, yeah. correct? So, definitely. Yeah. I mean, typically, if you just go to the hardware store, your incandescent bulbs are going to be more on the red 
um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. R- like red. They show up at that green range. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whereas your fluorescent, if it's not a full spectrum, is going to be more in the blue range. And so plants photosynthesize using different wavelengths more in the, the middle green range. And so when you're looking to get into LEDs or different types of fluorescence, you do need to make sure it is full spectrum. That way they are still Correct. providing that red side that normally mm. isn't in regular fluorescent bulbs. Interesting. And, and I, mean, I don't think it's too too much of a thing now, but it could still be that when you bought LED, LED lights, it used to be that you would buy the blue light and the red light, and then you, were, you would have pink light, mm-hmm. you know, purple light, and all your, you know, your whole grow room is pink. Right. So, but now they're full spectrum. So you can buy it. They look just like it looks. The ones I bought look just exactly like a fluorescent light fixture, and the LED lights are tubes. And it looks exactly the same. Oh, that's awesome! LED lights. All right, I think you've convinced me. I'm switching. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely an interesting topic. And if you want to read, you know, more about how to to deal with low light, definitely check out Lisa's uh, book, Grow in the Dark, which we're talking about right now. Um, another thing that I wanted to point out here because it's something that we actually mentioned, I believe, on couple podcasts episodes ago um, was you have a, a section in here in the book on acclimation and it just kind of gives an overview of the fact that, you know, depending on the grower, th- there is going to be a transition from where the plant grew up at, you know, in some place like our greenhouses to the end consumers lighting and environment in their home. And you put in there specifically that, you know, some growers will um, add additional shade cloth and things to try to make that acclimation better. And I wanted to just point out that, yeah, we, we are definitely doing that actively to try to help that acclimation, but it is, you know, a change. And for me to think that artificial light is kind of a, a weird topic to talk about is an easy thing to say in the state of Florida, but um, across the country, across the world, you know, your your access to light in a weird way is completely different. So what what have you found most helpful in those acclimation? What, what are some tips you would say for that acclimation process of, of getting a new plant in? Well, I, I think a lot of times the acclimation where a lot of people up here in the North are talking about is that they, a lot of people take their plants out for the summer. I don't. It would take me a month to get them out, a month to get them back in. I don't have time for that. So my plants are true house plants. But um, that's that's acclimation. A lot of them, they take them outside, they get them all beefed up, and they're lovely, and then they drag them back into our horrible low light, less light because it's fall and homes, and it's terrible. But even still, bringing them home from the greenhouse, even though you may bring, be bringing home a low light plant from the greenhouse, been in a greenhouse mm-hmm. getting way more lights going to get in your home so it'd be better to start it out maybe in a bit of a brighter place and then slowly acclimate it to the place that it you finally want it to be you know saying that that where you want it to be is going to have enough light for it to even survive right right but <laughs> so. but the the idea being that plants are sensitive i mean some plants more than others but plants right. are sensitive to those really big leaps whether Mm -hmm. it's like dark box to full sun or like you were saying it's been in your home for the winter and now you're putting it out for the summer and not only is it the light change you know from inside to outside and the lux difference between those two but also how quickly it happened and how many hours of sunlight they may be getting you may have only ran your artificial light for 12 hours a day or whatever and the summer days are longer outside so you know time is also a a factor to the light exposure. 
I guess. I, I don't know. What, I, I mean, I tell people if you, if you had me in the winter, you know, we're in Michigan. I'm, I'm also, I'm already a very, um, pale person. <laughs> and then you have me in all winter and then you just took me out in May and plopped me on the patio for the day. Bye bye. I would be burnt to a crisp by the end of the day. And so will your plants, exactly. including your cacti and succulents mm-hmm. because everybody thinks because it's a cactus or it's a succulent, it, it's full sun plant. Of course I can just plop it out in the full sun. And then they have a, a burnt scarred plant for life because those aren't changing. Right. Those scars they get from being burnt. So yeah, I tell them when, if they're taking it out in the spring, take it out and put it on the north side of the house, put it under a shade, some kind of evergreen tree, or hopefully if you're deciduous trees, you shouldn't be taking them out before they have leaves anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, put them under there for a while and then slowly put them out in full sun. If it's a plant that wants to be in full sun. Right, I've and, 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 never put my African violet out in right. full sun in <laughs> Michigan, even. And, so. and 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 plants are going to be, you know, are going to have different ways that they handle like that extreme environment change. You know, what some plants are going to revert if it's you know variegated, it's going to produce less mm-hmm. variegation. You'll have other plants that simply won't, like you're saying, you know, a cactus just because it it likes the hot sun. That the sudden transition is is what throws them off and unfortunately plants don't have the opportunity to whip out the sunscreen and and you know help themselves in any way so what we do as plant parents and as growers and as plant people you know our our decisions are what ultimately leads to the success or the failure in those types of situations because that's not a situation a plant in the wild would ever be you know they don't move like that they don't go from that far Mm -hmm. of an extreme seasons change gradually there's always slower motion to things so even just the ride in a box shipping online you Mm -hmm. know is a stressful environment for a plant another thing lisa that i wanted to touch on that you brought up was um and i've been a huge advocate of this for a really long time was the need for air circulation when you talk about different environments and stuff could you elaborate a little bit more on what why you think air circulation is important to mention? Well, I think um, it, 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 it helps a lot of things. It's going to give your plant stronger stems. Hopefully it's going to keep some pests away that don't want to be, you know, I'm not saying we're putting them in a wind tunnel or anything, but I always have a fan going. It's, the air is moving around. It's air is not stagnant. It's helping, I, you know, some people miss their plants. I don't, I'm not an advocate of that, but um, if you're missing your plants, there's water sitting on it. And if you get those, you know, water, and the environment and the fungus is always already present and you get all that going, you're going to, you're going to get some fungus. You're going to get powdery mildew. You're going to get all that stuff. So I like to have air circulation. Mm-hmm. I like to get a fan going on me most of the time. So right. my, plant, my <laughs> plants probably do too. And outside they're getting that naturally drying wind and they're getting, you know, they're getting all that. So I try to, I have a fan going in my sunroom 24 hours a day and my room where my African violets are under lights. And I have a lot of other stuff under lights. I, I really, I really appreciate you using yourself as like the human example because I mean, with the light, you're right. You know, if you're inside and you're pale, you go outside, you're gonna burn right away. And same thing with this air. Like, yeah, you can in, you can sit in a sauna and enjoy a sauna for like a good twenty minutes, but then after that, it's a little bit overwhelming. You need mm-hmm. out. You need some airflow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Ask any woman over 50. They need some airflow <laughs> for hot people. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, <laughs> it's, the air. it's not only great for the, like the, the plant health standpoint, the stems, you know, kind of giving it more aspects of what nature would give it as far as kind of not beating it up, but giving it mm-hmm. some adversity and, and the wind factor there. But also, especially one of the kind of pet peeves I have personally 
uh, is just that a lot of people, in my opinion, put certain house plants, depending on you know the the plant, in a pot that doesn't really. Um, provide the environment that the plant needs. You know, we talk a lot about your, your book even goes into a pretty great depth, which I encourage people to go uh, pick up your books and read them, but about different potting mediums and stuff. But to me, um, the potting medium is like half the, half the story and your pot slash airflow kind of as one mm-hmm. is the second half because you can use the right medium and put it in a place with no airflow and even then can overwater or underwater just based on not having a way to actively allow the plant to breathe, whether it's right. no drainage at the bottom or, you know, the way that it's shaped doesn't allow airflow to dry out the soil in the pot. You know, they, they can just be so my big thing is like, of course, use the designer pot if mm-hmm. that's the one that fits your bookshelf and is the one you want to use. But yeah, it, in certain circumstances, when you're taking away the drainage that nursery pots and things would give you, one of the like it gets higher, in my opinion, as a must to have the airflow factor mm-hmm. there because it's going to be the only effective way to achieve some cycling, some I mean, you know, drying out of the soil, rewatering. You know, you have to be able to have that from, rhythm. From a plant physiology standpoint, I mean, transpiration happens via stomata, which are on the undersides of the leaves that are the openings that basically allows them to breathe out and let out the, the gas exchange and everything like that. And when you have good airflow, you're pulling that moisture and those gases that they are releasing away, which then allows them to continue to release plant or release gases from the plant. Mm-hmm. It's um, just a healthier process. Overall. Exactly. And, and like, don't even get me started on the drainage hole. I, <laughs> I just don't understand why people or, or drainage material. I just don't, I don't understand any of that. It's like a diamond tip drill bit. It can drill a hole in anything, mm-hmm. but, and, and, but so many moments, so many plant pots. I always, I know, um, there's one company. I love their pots. I won't even say it. And, but they are a provider for a lot of the, um, orchid pots, which I understand, but there's, I just, every time I see them at a trade show, I'm like a yelling about the drainage hole. <laughs> Can we just have these with a drainage hole in them? Yes. Lisa's one of my yes. people. Like, yes. I'm, I'm the same guy. I'm running around going like, what are you thinking? Also, I, how, I don't understand the greenhouses. I understand some of them that like potted up like right before shipping, mm-hmm. but like, how does that survive a greenhouse? Right. Like that? There's no way. Yeah, there is no way. I, I went to the, you know, one of those big orchid growers, and which I found out was in Colum- uh, Cleveland, near Cleveland. And I was like, what? Hmm. The, uh, a big, huge orchid grower. And yeah, the, all the pots are just sitting in those little plastic pots on the thing. And they don't put them in those non-draining pots till they leave the, you know, that's the last step. Right. So Wild. I, I just don't. It, to me, it's just you're putting, you're setting yourself up. So she's a new plant parent. You're setting them up for failure, failure. When you don't it, have a drainage hole. Exactly. Exactly. 100%. It's unfortunate. Um, one, uh, getting towards the end here, Lisa, but another thing in the book that I, I just wanted to point out because I think it, it aligns with something that we talk about often, which is that um, when you get to the area, I was looking for it when I was, when I was looking through the book, I'm like, okay, is she going to mention pests in here? Um, because yeah. in my opinion, you know, it's an inevitability. Sigh, I heard that sigh. Oh yeah. I heard the sigh too. Yeah. yeah it's, you know what? I, I don't know about you guys, but I have, and I, I shouldn't even admit this out in public. I have never, I never knew. I don't know if I never knew. I knew there were thrips because I have African violets. And, you know, African violet thrips on the, you know, Western flower thrips are everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So you always see them. I, I, I did not know until this lately that 
thrips are such, and then I see them everywhere now, like such a, not in my house so far, but they're such a big deal. Everybody has thrips. When did this happen? Where have I been? I don't think they're even uh, in you know, on leaves, they're not even in my book. Well, I right. didn't realize. It, 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 I, I'm going to put this as a assumption out there, just having watched and having experienced it as a grower myself. Obviously, we grow such a small fraction of the market. You know, it, it's it's a, a pattern from larger. But in general, just like anything else you in life, you pay attention to the thing that's the biggest fire. So when two years ago, mites were the thing coming to big box stores more than anything else, what tends to happen mm -hmm. is you tend to see pest management programs created and focused on the miticide end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And they are, you know, with the single goal, almost narrow focus horse blinders of like, we have a mite problem, we need to overcome a mite problem. And then typically, whatever they're targeting that season, the thing they're not targeting is the thing that hits them next season. Right. And, and I do see that in like, a law a very macro sense of a rhythm if that well, makes any and sense and i can't i mean please don't let this speak for every grower i'm sure there are, are many growers out there that are still doing a very diligent job with spraying but i was speaking to a grower in i want to say end of may and just with the way that this houseplant craze has been going they were saying they were like oh yeah we've just stopped we've just stopped spraying completely because we are just so overwhelmed with the orders and people want plants mm -hmm. so bad that one we can't keep up with the spray and two people are taking the plants with the mites on them so we're just going to send them yeah and, and you had a lot of growers also opening up to in-person retail mm -hmm. as as that transition continues to happen so i think there's a lot less available time to spray too if you're trying to have whether it's pulling more orders all the time to ship them or mm -hmm. just having people around a lot more a lot of these people have more help for the first time in a while those types of things. But yeah, you mentioned thrips. Um, but the 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 thing I wanted to point out about that Sorry, I wanted to give I you... I interrupted. No, no, no this please. is perfect. We love it. I we love it. Like, I've been so overwhelmed. I'm like looking at every plant because I'm so terrified of these thrips that I'm seeing everywhere. I'm like, <laughs> what are you people talking about? And they move fast too compared yeah. to most pests. Like mm -hmm. they are one of those ones that can really, you know, not expand in... Um, even well, the life cycle as much, but they can physically get to a plant on the thrips, other side of the room. A exactly. Lot thrips jump almost like fleas. So as opposed to a mite or, a, or a, like a spider mite or a mealybug that has to crawl somewhere. Right. Um, so in something I, I, say to people, uh, one person, every once in a while, you get somebody who's just like, you know, how how is it possible that none of my plants had a pest and now it has a pest? And I'm like, well, you know, and they're like, we, I haven't even purchased in a new plant in mm -hmm. two months. And I'm like, well, d you could have gone to Lowe's, mm -hmm. walked through the garden center and picked something up on the bottom of your shoe, right. and a thrip, jump onto your clothes. I mean, the possibilities are endless because they are living things. There and, well, and there are some pests that exist in the houseplant trade that are strictly tropical, but uh, I'm pretty sure I'm correct in saying that thrips are native to various parts of America. Uh, um, so, I mean, you also could have been walking your dog outside and thrips jumped from a, a bush that isn't a houseplant but was outside and carried in on a vector that happened to be your dog or your pants, and now you've inoculated unfortunately your and this is a perfect big setup to what lisa writes in here and the thing i wanted to point out was right before that you know the heading before she gets into the kind of her tips on different pests and stuff is is titled problem solving 
And I just love that because it's almost, and something we talk about with a lot of the guests, and I wanted to give you, a, I like that you chimed in with uh, the thrift thing because I think, and we say it a lot, but I'm repeating it, is just, you know, people think because we're professional growers or because you're a professional houseplant person that you've never, ever dealt with this because, you know, you're just on a different level um, or you oh, have different on. tools. I can show you Amelie bugs and I can show you it all right now. <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. I mean, people are like throwing plants out. I'm just like, I thought Amelie bug was my worst. Which, which is why, over here. yeah, which is why I think you setting it up as problem solving is like right on the money and so refreshing because... These are things that, for the most part, not all circumstances, but for the most part, yeah, like you're saying, you can overcome. This is a problem to solve. Mm -hmm. This isn't a death sentence, though. If you care about the plant and you're willing to put in the time and the resources, right. we are. It's 2021. S we have the ability to, yeah, yeah. And with and with books like these, with YouTube being out there, I mean, you can definitely find the resources uh, to to solve these problems. That all being said, though, one of the questions we ask our guests, and you can answer this as honestly as you want to but one of the the questions we ask guests is just like you know with that setup that everyone kind of deals with us tell you know tell us one of your stories uh on dealing with pests or maybe one of the the situations that were most frustrating or that you learned the most because i think it's important that people realize like you're saying you could show us the the, the diagrams and in a greenhouse of a hundred thousand i'm sure we can mm -hmm. find on one plant you know, a representation of a couple different pests somewhere in there too, as as hard as we try. I don't think there's one in there right oh, now. Don't say that. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think there's one in there right now. And no, and <laughs> but you can't well, I know. Can say there's some here. And don't you just think that it, it's also like what what you're willing to deal with? Like if I see a one, a, you know, a few mealybugs, but once you know, I have a plant that's hiding among other plants because that can happen. Mm -hmm. And you move the plant, and there's it's you know they're they're everywhere. It's like okay, out the door it goes. But I also have you know. I've been fighting mealybugs on my ponytail palm. Mm -hmm. I've had that ponytail palm since college. I took it in a two-inch pot to college in 1984, and I still have it. And I don't care what's on it. It's going to get off. Exactly. Somehow, I'm going to get it under enough control that this is not going to die because I've had him. My Probably my oldest plant, other than now I have my mother's uh, Boston fern that is from her 1957 um, shower, wedding oh, wow. shower. So I'm not letting anything get that either. <laughs> so there's right. like three or four plants in here that, are going out with they're not going to go out with bugs somehow i'm going to treat them whether i get my systemic insecticide out i get my i don't know a lot of people are against me now i found it to work pretty decent mm -hmm. um insecticidal soap horticultural oil whatever i have i'm going to use if i have to but it's just a problem, like you're saying, right. a problem to solve. And yeah. I, lo I love that. Solve. I love that vantage point. I just, I, I can't say that enough because I think, yeah, we're very quick to just, I think also the, as the millennial generation, speaking as one of them, that, <laughs> you know, are, are becoming a large part of the, of the consumer base in, in plants recently. Uh, there's such a, you know, just what we've grown up with is that if you can't find that tool, you order another one because they're manufactured so cheaply. You know, it's just so easy to replace the thing. You lose the memory card to your camera. It's okay. They're nine ninety nine on Amazon, and it'll be there this afternoon. You know, you don't really. We're we're so used to just once it breaks, you mm -hmm. buy the new one. Uh, but plants are better than a small engine. In a you know, but a project that is a continuing thing. And you mentioned you had a plant that was I I was looking at another note I had, but how old was this single plant? Cause I love well, stories my, like that. My mom's fern is and it's upstairs and it looks beautiful right now. Um, it is from 1957. She got that at her bridal shower from my great grandmother. So and cool. then I have a piece of it that I got 
when I got married in 1985 and then I just gave my daughter a piece. She got married in 2018 and now she has a piece of it as well. And a lot of oh, people, my a lot heart. of my family have yeah. pieces of it. <laughs> Me and so yeah, I've had that forever. And then, so that, and mom had it forever. So, and then I don't even know where great, we don't even know what kind of fern it is. We say it's a Boston fern hmm. and it is a, but it has, it has finely cut fronds and the regular, you know, the regular fronds right. all on the same, sometimes both on the same long front. It'll have those single, you know, the, 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 I, I want to just the, what is it? Bipinate leaves, mm-hmm. whatever. And then it, it will have some really fluffy leaves, almost like the cotton candy fern. So cool. On the same front. So it's very weird. And I, I've, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I'm and sure. I've and I've, after how many years that is, you have a little bit of, you know, evolution happening within the single Probably. plant. That's right. that, but that is so cool. Me and Brett looked when you, when you said that you had given the piece uh, to your <laughs> daughter to uh, being a third generation yeah. grower in my family, like, <laughs> oh man, my heart and me and Brett just locked <laughs> eyes and we're like, that is, I think she wins. I don't know what she wins, but I think she I, wins something. I don't know. I do love, I, I love it. It's, it, it is. And it's so, like I said, if there's a fire or, that's you know after the cat the husband the you know whatever the pictures that is what is yeah that is what's going in your arms right after the cat right (laughs) that's awesome three plants but it's it is i do love it and i don't yes everybody kind of it's kind of like what is the new plant i have to have it and sometimes i haven't i've fallen into that trap and it and it's like you know what i number one i have a lot of plants i have and i'm very very it's very hard for me to throw them out if they're you know they're dead they're gone they're i've done i've killed many many uh, i've led them to their death but <laughs> at the same time you know you can't just all these new everything it's like we got there's got to be a got to be happy with what you have sometimes i guess right Is, there are what i'm saying there like, are you can't jump on that there are 200,000 species of flowering plants. That's species, not cultivars. And even though I like to say I will own them all, there is no way that I will ever own them right, all. Right, right. <laughs> At some point, you are picking and choosing your priorities. Exactly. I mean, like anything else, unfortunately, we, for the most part, all drive, at least here, all drive one car. Mm-hmm. So you get one choice. Right. You know, you drive the one car yeah. you have. And, and it's cool that, you know, you get to collect different things. And I think that's one of the things, I think, as people's... Uh, hobby of plants continues to evolve. And I'm sure you've probably seen this. I think that initially, you know, you're kind of overwhelmed and you want the one of everything. I think that is noble. And I don't think that ever really goes away to a certain extent. Me and Brett still want one of everything. It's a collector mentality. Yeah. But eventually you kind of start helping yourself by going, okay, no, but I'm really into the succulent thing. Mm -hmm. And and you start to reduce, you know, I am going to try to collect all of them, but I'm going to try to collect all the vining of this group, small yeah, leaf philodendron specifically, mm-hmm. and not go after right. every aeroid possible ever. You know, that's, and that, um, that is the thing here. Like I'm ready to think, I'm thinking about a monster has always been my favorite plant. Like I had a card, you know, I was doing a little bit of consultation like 30 years ago and it was a monstera. I've always loved them. <laughs> and I have one and it's just so huge that I'm almost thinking I need to get rid of it because, that was that's taking up a lot of real right, estate. Right, that's that space for one plant exactly. It could yeah. fit a lot and, of other. And it could have been the, the look or the thing for two years ago, but mm-hmm. not right now. Right, and I just I, and it's very hard for me to give up a plant that I've had for a while or I've been growing or, and I love Sansevieria slash Dracinias. Mm-hmm. I have <laughs> a lot of those, and I'm 
I'm so into Hoyas, but who isn't? I've always have been, but <laughs> now it's like I see all these like orange flowering ones and yellow, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need those. <laughs> That's awesome. So it is hard. I can understand how as a new, you know, these, it would be really easy to, it is easy just to go, go, go. But then it gets to the point where I can I even take care of all these plants mm-hmm. the way they deserve to be taken care of? Not really. And am I learning anything or am I just stressed out all the time, you know, <laughs> right. is another thing, yeah. Yeah, especially when people go all in at the start, because like we were just mentioning with pests, you know, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So right. do you right. want to learn that lesson when you have a total of 15 plants that could possibly be impacted by that, you know, life lesson you got to learn? Right. Or do you want to go up. ahead and have the 250 collection get exactly. destroyed that you spent? I've, I've been up for six hours. It's now 2 a.m. I still haven't finished watering. Wait, am I at my breaking point? You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Is> yeah. It- <laughs> do I even like this? Yeah. <laughs> Right, driving, but that sometimes, and I, but then I still, I see a plant when I'm out and about, and I'm like, oh man, I really need that plant. And then I come mm-hmm. home, and I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> I have so many plants. It, it, like, poor thing is, like we were saying, it doesn't go away. You know, you d- the the desire to own that thing ne- doesn't no. go away, but definitely no. keeping it within the reasonableness and the rationality of what you can reasonably do in a week, you know, or in a day, every day. Um, is important. Um, Lisa, it's been so much fun having you on the podcast. One question I wanted to wrap up with, um, which I didn't see covered in the book specifically, but I just wanted to pick your brain because we're still 90 degrees outside as we record this here in Florida, but we know that the seasons change elsewhere much quicker than they do here in Florida. As we start to go into fall and, and winter, what do you have any tips for the listeners on some of the things to do for, I mean, people call it winter prep for their mm-hmm. house plants. Obviously for us, we're a little unfamiliar with that being in the state of Florida, but uh, what what right. are some of the things you've learned over your your career of, of doing this? Well, you're definitely going to acclimate them coming back in, right? Because mm-hmm. we've had them out on the patio. You got to acclimate them. Start doing that now because it's been it's getting it seems like it's getting colder quicker at night. Mm-hmm. It's like we've got the windows open and the air conditioning off, so it's time to start acclimating. Bring those plants back into some kind of shade. Get them ready. Um, I would I'm. I know some people do not like systemic insecticide, but I'm, I'm pretty much a fan of that. Mm-hmm, if, you, mm-hmm. if you need to spray with insecticidal soap, um, really flush the water out while they're still outside and can get rid of, you know, and can use that much water, but really give them a good flushing to get whatever's in there out. Earthworms, you know, get them up off the ground. Um, but wash your windows. I tell people that my windows are so bad right now. I can't <laughs> believe I'm even telling people this, but when you bring your plants in for the winter here and they've been outside, Wash the windows. It's amazing how much dirt is on your windows and how much light that is blocking. Wash your screens. Take your screens out. My dad used to always take the screens out and put them away for the winter after he got done washing them outside. But mm. I don't think a lot of people do that anymore. But they block, what, 30% of the light? Right. Mm. Screen, probably. At least, yeah. Um, yeah. If you're going to repot, I, I know a lot of people in my Cactus and Succulent Society repot all their plants because they've had them outside and they don't want to bring anything in. They, like, completely... They don't put them in bigger pots or anything. Mm-hmm. But they just completely repot them with fresh potting medium. Um, I tell people, yeah, if you're going to repot, do that. I wouldn't up-pot at this time of year here in, in Michigan unless it's so severely root-bound you're, like, watering it, you know, every other day. But at this point, it's, they're going to start slowing down, so let's put them in a, the mode of let's not do anything now again until, like, February of March. Right. If, March. You're, if you're going to repot them, do it now if you're for up-pot sure. it, yes. Yeah. So um, those are just some of the things. You know, wash the leaves. Make sure your plants are really clean, like you're doing a fall cleaning. Do it, do it with your plants too, because if you know, 
heaters, not heaters, but the air conditioners have been going and it's, you know, plants just get dusty just like mm-hmm. anything else. So we want to give them as, the light's getting lower. So let's give them as much, you know, help them out as much as we can with the washing of the windows, washing the plants, which you should be doing all the time anyway. The plants need to be washed, the, you know, the- wiped down. Those mm-hmm. are really good tips. I never mm-hmm. thought about the window screen. Like, honestly, right. that was mind-blowing. Yeah, Zach, same. You, no, I've never heard of that. Yeah, I've never... I, I, mean, like, I don't. It's really hard to do. I mean, if you can get them out and wash them fine or get them out and storm for the mm-hmm. winter, that's great. I yeah, don't. I was about to say, or even just take them off for the winter because you're getting right. lower light levels yeah. already. So Once if your, winter, start if your going winter is going to be... If your window is going to be closed anyway for winter, then remove the screen and now you're up at least 30%. Right, right. That's smart. Lisa, last question, I promise. What is your favorite plant right now it doesn't have to be forever but right now what are you what are you into most you mentioned yeah, sansevieria I'm, really, I'm really into my hoyas right now mine are just blooming constantly and it's so Woo. i love it but my epiphyllum octopetalum finally bloomed for the well it was i missed last year because it was behind a stand and i didn't know it mm-hmm. but it's been blooming like crazy and it smells so good that's the hoyas, awesome smell good. oh yeah outside i opened my sunroom and i'm like honey can you smell that and he's like what <laughs> out here and just smell because a lot of them smell better at night mm-hmm. and i'm going out to like close the door for the night make sure the cat's not out there um stuck in there for the night and it's just it's just a sunroom you know attached to my house but it closes with uh you know doors closed and it just smells so heavenly so anything that smells good at night is my favorite plant right now i love it usually my hoyas that's awesome <laughs> it's a good time of year for that too mm-hmm. hoyas are definitely they do that like kind of late spring and then kind of before we get into the fall i mean if yeah. the conditions are right they they love it like three or four blooming right now and they just smell so good that's awesome well lisa it's been amazing having you on the podcast um this week is there uh if people have questions or want to get in contact with you you want to plug where they can find more about you obviously you can get her books on amazon i'm sure other places your website as well we definitely recommend them how can people get in touch with you um through everything through my website thehouseplantguru.com and you know you can email me which is lisa at the houseplant guru and um in my books, you can buy them. If you want a signed copy, you can buy them on my um, website or yeah, on Amazon, anywhere. That, that'd be great. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Lisa. And uh, we hope you have a, a great rest of your uh, fall. And uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Talk to you thank soon. You so much for having me. Yes, thank you. All right, guys. So that, that was the interview with Lisa. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. That was awesome though. Brett, great job. Uh, thanks for helping us get that connection and bringing Lisa on the show. Um, really good information. Yeah, I re- it's never enough time. I mean, th- I feel like I could talk to some of these people for hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, even after we, we ended the official podcast, I mean, we still stayed on the phone with her for a, a minute there mm-hmm. talking about different yeah, challenges. Yeah, tangent is going to be interesting. <laughs> I'm yeah. just sitting here soaking all of it in or attempting to. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really cool to see those different perspectives too because, I mean, we talk about it a lot on the podcast, but yeah, environments are totally different depending mm-hmm. on what state you're in. I mean, a lot of the things that I feel like we've talked about in the past. Uh, she covers in such a great, a great way. It's mm-hmm. just uh, like Zach, you'll have to definitely take this book home at some point or something because, like, just the way, especially when it comes to even how we write stuff for cu- customers and stuff, mm-hmm. like just mm-hmm. the way that it, the English reads. I mean, you could tell she's a writer. It just it, it's very English while also being jam packed of information, which is like exactly. I feel honestly a lot of times our challenge, both for mm-hmm. Brett when you write different descriptions for things or. Z- getting uh, content to Zach to put in the mm-hmm. the plan of the week or different things. You know, there's that line between the botanical knowledge we may know, but also needing to be able to 
format it in a way that's Someone broken. Can digest yeah, it. Yeah, that's actually, broken down yeah. to a reasonable level. And I, I just feel like both of the books, obviously having read the other one in its entirety mostly and skimming through this one today, I just feel like she has a really good grasp of like just the, the common sense and putting that into a and digestible it, it's way. A book of how, it's a book about houseplants written by someone with houseplants. Right. And I mean, that story with her. Three generations. Mm-hmm. Of yeah, it, that was uh, that was super cool. Yeah, that's. I mean, the piece of my heart right there. Right? <laughs> that, yeah. that was. Uh, yeah, she neat. seems just to have a, a way more kind of like down earth perspective of what you need to do day to day in an oh just a real world situation mm-hmm. in your home. Yeah, exactly. in Wait, your house. Yeah. I, she's an expert at, and we unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, you know, we work in a greenhouse, mm-hmm. and you know, it's so cool to see an expert, and like I said, so well written perspective of like you're saying zach i mean everyday household stuff Mm -hmm. because by and large we ship outside the state of florida right you know we don't ship but percentage wise to florida more than anyone else you know there's Mm -hmm. varying amounts of climates and different things and i feel like our tips for the the winter time the whole screen thing was also yeah the Mm -hmm. cleaning your windows to i mean it makes sense when you think about it but Mm -hmm. i would never have thought oh these plants could be getting more sunlight if i just clean my window and it's like oh now I'm thinking back, like, geez, like how dirty are my windows back <laughs> yeah, at home? Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm sitting there in shame, like, okay, I, I can tell you how many Teddy nose smears are like right <laughs> on that back door, but yeah, I'd never thought of it in the. I've looked at that and been like, yeah, I should probably clean that window. That looks like my dog's nose has just mm-hmm. been pressed up against my window for forever. Yeah. But like, I never connected it, like you're saying, to the plant thing and mm-hmm. that it would impact the light to the plant so thank you guys for listening to this episode of the every plant story podcast you can find all the other episodes on your favorite podcast app or on our website everyplantstory.com if you have questions or feedback for us you can reach out to us via email at feedback at everyplantstory.com and otherwise we'll see you guys next time bye see you.